0: Hello, and welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a blog and now a podcast created for parents raising Black and brown children. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. In this podcast series, I talk with some really interesting people about the job and the joy of parenting. This week, we're returning to a topic we talked about in Season 1, helping our children pursue their strong passions from an early age. Back in Season 1, we talked with Crystal McCrary-McGuire about raising her basketball-playing son, Cole, who, after our podcast, was drafted in the first round to the Orlando Magic, and now is a key player for that team. Today, we're talking with a dear friend, Diana Napier, about raising her daughter, Emerson Davis, a gifted cellist, dancer, singer, and actor who starred on Broadway in the cast of the Tony Award-winning musical, Once on this Island. Emerson, who is now 13, and whom we're going to get to talk a bit at the end of this podcast, has been passionate about the arts from a very early age. Diana, as we will hear, is a woman who's been passionate about her own pursuits. She stepped away from a high-profile consulting and corporate career and decided to pursue her interest in writing. After marrying and having Emerson, she pretty quickly found herself on the unexpected path of helping her daughter follow her passion for the arts. Diana and her husband, Vaughn, live with Emerson in New York City. Welcome to Ground Control Parenting, Diana. (laughs) Hi, Carol. Thank you for having me. So nice to have you here. I'm so happy to have you here to talk about children helping children pursue their passions. Parents everywhere can benefit from your wisdom, your advice, and your experience on this topic. And it's a great story about how parenting takes you in directions you'd never thought. Never thought. (laughs) So let's get started. So before we talk about you as a parent, let's start with some background on how and where you grew up. Detroit, right?
1: Yes. I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Um, I have Uh, three siblings. So there was four of us all together. Mm -hmm. I'm the youngest. Mm -hmm. I went to University of Michigan for undergrad Mm -hmm. and University of Chicago for my MBA,
0: Mm -hmm. and then Warren
1: Wilson College for my MFA.
0: So let me ask you this. Did your parents encourage you? You have a lot of higher education. Did they encourage you? Was education a big thing in your family? Yes, Yes, there was Uh uh, no question.
1: Um, College was never a question. Um, Mm -hmm. It was which college. For my mom, it was which Ivy League Mm -hmm. college, but I did not want to go to the Ivy League. I really wanted to go to the University of Michigan. And then it was a, a question of which graduate degree. You know, are you going to pursue? Mm-hmm. And uh, I decided on a uh, on master's in business, yes.
0: So from there, you immediately embarked on this really hard charging driven career. You started out in consulting and then you went to uh, two different corporations in house and mergers and acquisitions. It, it sounds exciting, it sounds demanding, and it sounds stressful. All, but, of, the all above. of the above
1: all at the same time, which which is interesting. Of of course when you're you're newer at it and you're younger, it's it's all excitement. After mm-hmm. a while it does. I know some people will say, really? You know, I, I don't see that, but it gets old. It really does. And um and you get tired. Mm-hmm. So um it, it it was a number <laughs> of years. I was in that whole kind of space for about um 15, 16 years before I before I opted mm-hmm. out
0: bravely, because I think a lot of people listening think, oh my gosh, you know all of that sort of opportunity and all of that um, all the things that go along with a high power career, it's hard to walk away from
1: no it's, it, it's not easy. It, it wasn't an easy decision and just because of all the things that that go along with that go away as well it's a it's a mm-hmm. bit of a risk taking mm-hmm. position. And I don't consider myself a risk taker mm-hmm. at all. Uh, never have mm-hmm. been. Kind of always went that sure path, and, and always <laughs> wanted to progress along. And as no one should worry about, but I did. You worry about what are people going to think? You know, are are they mm-hmm. are, are they going to think you gave up? Are they going to think you couldn't do it anymore? Are they going to think you got fired? You know, it, it's just there's mm-hmm. a number of things mm-hmm. going around. It took me a little while to realize. Who cares what they think? You mm-hmm. have to pursue your mm-hmm. your own path, and you have to do what what makes you happy and um, makes you not medically dependent upon pharmaceuticals. <laughs> so <laughs>
0: I'm kidding, there. but as the youngest and in, in your in, in all of your uh, your jobs and one of the few black people, I mean, it was a lot. It was a lot. Not only do you have your work,
1: which is mm-hmm. demanding in and of itself, you know, making literally a billion dollar Mm -hmm. decision, you know, on a certain acquisition or or something like that. And everybody's turning Mm -hmm. and looking at you. There's not only that, but there is the added stress of being a woman. Mm -hmm. And I was in the energy industry. So it was a predominant, well, Mm -hmm. predominantly male industry being the only person of color. I don't even have to say African-American, just being the only person of color Mm -hmm. and being quite young. When I got to that stage, I was last job. I was the youngest vice president that they ever hired. And mm-hmm. you can imagine my staff was all white men older than me. Mm. You know, so there's a whole added <laughs> yes. thing that, that comes with that. And you so you have that to, you know, quote unquote, bear. But you also have to keep your mind focused on your work. It, it becomes a lot. And
0: so you bravely moved away from that you left the field, you got married then, and then you pursued your interest in fiction writing. And in the course of all of this, you had Emerson. Um, yes. Y- you have said this as a, as a later mom, you had her in your early forties, but, but there's one thing that I want to bring up about this whole process after you had um Emerson, before we talk about sort of Emerson and her passions. And that is, you, you've told me that after having Emerson, you experienced some postpartum depression. Can you just tell me about sort of how that came to be? and what it was like. Yes,
1: unfortunately, I I was not aware of this, and I'll call it my own, you know, lack of reading the proper (laughs) articles or something. I had no idea what was going on. But it was after Emerson was born, I came with this overwhelming feeling that I was not capable of taking care of her. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't an am I not capable? It was I mm-hmm. am not capable of taking care of her. And me being kind of organized in the planner, you know, what steps do I have to take in order for my daughter to be raised properly while I am in the <laughs> insane asylum? Because I thought I was literally going crazy, crying mm-hmm. for no apparent reason, being scared to touch her because I thought I'm gonna mess something up. I'm I'm not gonna do mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. right. And it would just spiral out of control until where you're like on the ground in a fetal Mm. position crying. I went to my doctor because I thought it was a thyroid issue. And that's when um, my doctor said, I actually think you're suffering from this. And so I had to get get all educated on that and get the, the help that I need. But it did start with my my husband who was taking on the bulk of the care, Mm -hmm. it started with him saying something's going on. And he didn't know either. He said, we have to find out what's going on. And that's when I found out um, it was postpartum depression. Um, I got the proper help. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it takes a little bit of time, Mm -hmm. but soon everything returned. And I was me again. Yeah, yeah. But one good thing that did come out of that Mm -hmm. is once Emerson was a little older and we had equipment, you know, that comes with a child and clothes and things to give away. My neighbor downstairs just had a little girl. And so I said, Oh, you know, come on up. I'm going to lay everything out, Mm -hmm. take whatever you want. And so we said, Time she came up and I said, Okay, here's everything. She kind of didn't even look at it. And we sat down at the dining room table and she just looked at me. And she said, this sucks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I knew right away. I said, okay, well, let's go through this. So we had lunch the next day. And I just told her, I said, I just want to tell you what happened to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't talk about how she felt or what was going on with her. I said, I just want to mm-hmm. tell you what happened to me. I'll share my story. And I told her, you know, everything that happened, how I felt, what I did, just the whole Thing and where I was at now. Soon after that, I saw her again. And she was so grateful and so mm-hmm. thankful. And when I met, when her family came to visit because of the baby and um, when, fr- even with friends, she's introduced
0: me as, oh my God, this is Diana. She saved my life. <laughs> and that is exactly why I'm, I'm grateful to you that you were willing to tell this story. This came up as we talked about sort of life. And I thought it was really important because we, um, women and women are beginning to talk about it more, a little more, but yes. to your point, the reason why you didn't read about it is because it's not something that is presented to you while you're pregnant as a real possibility. It's sort of, it's not, right. it's that people don't tell you often that you think get this. And, and secondly, as, as black women, I mean, we are, um, We are strong in so many ways. We are perceived to be strong in so many ways. And even if we know that this is a thing, we think that it's not going to happen to And for some
1: reason, I I don't know, we're supposed to have this predisposition to be able to raise children. (laughs) I I, I don't know if that comes from raising a lot of children and raising other people's children. But um, generations like my mom, my mom, she came and she helped. She never quite understood you know, what was what was
0: happening and what was going on or why, you know, here's a woman who worked and raised four children. And right, exactly. And then you are a woman who has demonstrated a masterful capacity to get things done. <laughs> and so and and so I imagine mm-hmm. it was baffling to everyone that this thing that is supposed to be a natural thing um, is you were having such trouble with. Yes. So good on your husband, frankly, <laughs> for being able to recognize that this was a thing yeah. that needed to be um, attended mm-hmm. to. And the good news with postpartum depression is if you treat it, you feel better. It is
1: treatable. There are some, I, I guess, mm-hmm. some some forms that are more serious, but, you know, for the most part in, in general, yes, it is treatable if if you address it and understand it and recognize it and understand mm-hmm. it for what it is. It's nothing to beat mm-hmm. yourself up about. Right. It, it was especially baffling to me because like you said, here was something that I didn't understand and I couldn't solve and it was mm-hmm. out of my control. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, when you have a child, you already feel as if some things are out of your control now because right. you have this big, well, now, you know, I can't even, I can't do that. And billions right. exactly. of women do this. Why can't I do this? You know? So, but like I said, something helpful mm-hmm. came out of it. I was so glad that I could help my neighbor.
0: You know, as we, when we get a little bit more into the conversation about Emerson, I'm going to say to you something, another possible small silver lining of that horrible experience. But so let's, let's move on to Emerson's here. You're back to yourself. You're raising this delightful, adorable young baby and she's cute and she's amazing. Fast forward a little because she's a little older. She's a toddler and you are already getting some indication that she is a child that has specific passions. Um you you said that you noticed she responded to yes. music and movement but then you also heard it from her teachers or preschool teachers you know I love music and I, I think that's a, a wonderful way to mm-hmm. communicate with
1: children a, a lot of time before they have language but I noticed that she really mm-hmm. took to it really <laughs> and I said you know okay we will continue to pursue this along mm-hmm. with everything else you know but we will always have a music class because she responded to it and I think it's important but when she got to preschool age teachers were at pickup or something teachers were coming to me and she was like whoa well, you know that Emerson you know that that Emerson she's something else oh you know she's she's got some talent or she, and I, I'm thinking she's two and a half. You know, like what could she be doing? I mean, I I think she's she's at a Montessori school, so I think she's pouring water out of a pitcher. You know, basically. So I'm like, what could she be doing? And her, but her creativity, they would speak to her her control over her own mm-hmm. body and her movement was something that they they spoke about as 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 being a little you know, something they would notice.
0: um, um. (laughs) And so, you know, when we've talked about the things that you um, would say to parents about noticing talent or any kind of um, uh, passion or talent at an early age, one of the first things you said to me is that parents need to listen to their children. They need to be able to hear from the child what they're interested in. Can you tell the story of how she... um, Developed an interest in the cello? Through, you yes. <laughs> um, you have to listen to them,
1: but make sure you're not listening for what you want to hear. Really listen to them. And if you got it wrong, you know, what you thought, then, right. you know, change it and lis- listen to them again. I'm a big subscription ticket person to All Things New York. There's an uh, organization called the Little Orchestra Society, and it's classical music, but the whole presentation and the concert is geared toward children. Um, you even have characters dressed up in costumes and things like that, but they are playing classical music. So I got a subscription to that and Emerson and I would go to the concerts again. She was three years old and she could not contain herself when the music was playing. This is all classical music. And it was just bringing her such joy. You know, she was just up out of her seat and, you know, she was with the music and, and conducting and, and things. And she also wanted to always be on the aisle with the um, string instruments. She was moving to the music. She was feeling the stories. It was delightful. And one day we were at one of the concerts and she said, mommy, I want to play the cello. To which my answer was, <laughs> which one is the cello? <laughs> I actually I know. And I pointed and obviously I she told mm-hmm. me no. I was pointing to a bass. She wanted to play the cello. And so I said to myself, wow, you know, okay, that's a cello. That's an awfully big instrument. (laughs) So I I said I was going to make that happen, but I I didn't know they made small cellos. I I, I thought, you know, I I would tell her, you have to wait till you get a little older. You can do it, but you have to wait till you get a little older because I thought that was the size of a cello. I knew they made tiny violins because they had one of those in her, one of her music classes. So I signed her up for these violin lessons and she took them, but she basically said, <laughs> well, that was good. Now where's the cello? And so I had to do research. I had to get online, do research and learn a lot about how do we make this happen? Cause she is very passionate about it and it does, it's not going away.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You figured out how to get a mini cello and her along that path. And then while you were researching online, you, you were looking for lessons and you found this special yes, music school? Didn't
1: even know it existed. Mm-hmm. You know, some things just happen. While I was researching music lessons, I saw this music school and I'm thinking, oh, here's a place they seem to fit her age group and they, they teach cello. And as I'm reading, I'm learning this is an actual mm-hmm. school, an academic school. And it's here in New York and it's called Special Music School. It was K through eight. Um, It was an audition school. I had to learn all about that. And you start in kindergarten, you audition. Now, if you make it, you go to the school. The only issue that I saw was the fact that it was an audition school and it was a very small school. And they're very particular about their, their size and their composition. So every school year, for kindergarten, they accept seven boys and seven girls out of all five boroughs.
0: 400 children audition for that 14, 15 slot. So yeah, so it's pretty competitive. She, so she didn't play an instrument yet, because I was, this is
1: me trying to get her cello lessons. Ah. What they were testing for was musical aptitude, uh, musical memory, um, musical ability. And that's just something she excelled at. And I think these were the things that all the teachers in preschool were, were talking about, um, the things that she exhibited for them. And um, she she became one of the seven girls.
0: Wow. So she goes to the special music school. She, she demonstrates a talent for the cello. And and she plays, she's a cellist. She still is a cellist, an, an accomplished cellist. But while she's there, she gets involved with drama. And she sort of comes home one day, says, I want to do drama. Yes. <laughs> And um, and the teacher who teaches drama is also teaches singing to yes, for, professional Yes, children on Broadway. <laughs> so.
1: Yes, she does. Didn't know that she was a mother at the school <laughs> and she ran a Friday after school drama club. And um, so we're at the school, Emerson's in kindergarten, just as she did with the cello. She comes home one day and she goes, I want to be in the drama club. To which again, I say, what's that? She goes, kids do drama. I, I want to to be in the drama club. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll make this happen. I, I contacted the school and I said, oh, you get in touch with this mom. She runs it. Um, I sent her an email and, and told her Emerson's interest. And she said, that's great. That's wonderful. But I'd like the kids to be a little older because um, most of the kids were like third and fourth grade. And she said, can we at least wait until she's in first grade? So I was like, okay, you know, done. So I said to Emerson, Emerson, you're in kindergarten, they would like you to be at least in first grade. And she said, okay. And the first day of first grade, she said, can you call about
0: drama club? Well, you know, we have to hand it to Emerson. She understood her passions and knew how to yes. pursue them. She needed help from Mommy and Daddy, but but she was definitely on a path. The story is pretty amazing as how things kind of have fallen her way. I mean, she's very, very talented, but she as as one of she she with the help of the mm-hmm. voice teacher was connected to people on Broadway and suddenly she's auditioning for a Broadway show, like her first or second audition. And (laughs) And and
1: it it all happened so fast.
0: It was a big learning
1: curve for her. And I said, okay, well, Mm -hmm. I I have a lot of things to learn. I I didn't know how it worked, you know, at all. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't know how you got an agent, if you needed an agent. What an agent was, what they did. I, I, I had mm-hmm. such a, a a big learning curve, um, but she mm-hmm. wanted to pursue this. She was adamant about it, um, and she was obviously good at it. When she was in drama club, um, she asked me if she could work with Amelia. Amelia is the woman who ran the drama club, and she said, "I want to work with Amelia mm-hmm. outside, you know, of school." And I did find out that Amelia did. Um, music voice lessons. And then I found out she does voice lessons for children on Broadway. And I was like, um, you know, honey, you already have one instrument that's taking on another instrument. Her cello um, schedule was very, very stringent. Um, you know, uh, the school <laughs> is 50-50 academics in, in music. So hours per night of, of of practice with which the parent has to sit through with the child and guide them because they're so young you know, you, you have to help them with their practice and go to the lessons and learn what it is that they're supposed to do and help them. So
0: let me actually ask you about that. Um, So you're sort of the accidental parent of a very talented and gifted (laughs) child, meaning that you didn't see it coming. She definitely, it was definitely organic from her, but it sounds like parents that have a child that's very talented or think they do need to know how much work it takes from a parenting perspective. I mean, in order to help her, you really had to yes. put in a lot of time and, and get up to speed on your own learning curve.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, for both things, uh, for the cello, for music, as, as well mm-hmm. as on the, um, acting, dancing, singing front, it actually ended up having me to kind of put aside my writing career as I saw it. Um, I, I was mm-hmm. able mm-hmm. to focus it and still um, do some things that I wanted to pursue that requi- had different time requirements so that I could still be there um, for Emerson to attend her cello lessons, which was required to practice with her two hours a night, um, to take mm-hmm. her to her chamber group, to take her to her orchestra group. Um, all of that. And then here comes a child and wants to put voice lessons on top of that. you know.
0: <laughs> and, then, and then as she gets older, here comes a child who gets a role on Broadway, who now yes. has to go yes. to work <laughs> for an evening performance. <laughs> and you have to think
1: hard of, about things like that as a parent, um, because yeah, it, she's delighted, but you know, she's, she's a child. And you also have to think about what is best for her, you know, what, um, and make sure that, you know, she's not taken advantage of. And, and there's a lot of, of of course, you know, the industry is not a new one. So there's a a lot of, um, rules and regulations and, and laws and, and things and, um, unions, you know, that they, they have to adhere to, um, certain restrictions, but, you know, here's a child who's eight years old, who now has a pension, a Furl 1K, a W-2. I now have to do her taxes. You know, so it's, I mean, it's just, uh, it it was quite a a bit to kind of wrap your head around. And she did, as you said, have to go to work. Um, She's on Broadway. There's eight shows a week. So she would go to school during the day and go to work at night um, while still getting her cello practice Mm -hmm. in and her homework and her dinner. And what was extremely important to me is still getting as much as being a kid in as she, as she could. Um, Mm -hmm. Very important to me. I often worried Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. that. Um, But what I guess what made it easier on me was the, the fact that Emerson was doing exactly what she wanted to do. And Mm -hmm. I was Mm -hmm helping to facilitate that, I was helping that along. And she was adapting as a, a child would. For instance, um, a child might miss not being able to go trick-or-treating because she has to work that night. But um, what the cast did was mm-hmm. they set up all the dressing rooms as like rooms with candy and the she, Emerson got dressed up and she went to everyone's dressing room and said, trick-or-treat, trick-or-treat. To her, that was a blast. <laughs> That was a blast. Um, and she came home with her bag of candy, just like any other child. But you know, she did get to experience things like that, but it was just in a different way. And and she was fine with that.
0: So I want to just go back to something that you said very early on, and kind of tie it back to our even earlier discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, you talked about the importance of listening to her and continuing to listen to her, and 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 not and make sure that you're listening to her all along the way and not letting your own sort of feelings about what she's doing interfere. I'm curious um, as, as terrible as an experience as it was your very early days of feeling like you couldn't Mm -hmm. take care of her. I wonder, and this is just, I mean, who knows, but you very early on saw your child as a different, a distinct person with a distinct voice, not an extension Mm -hmm. of you. I Mm -hmm. mean, in part because you couldn't see her as an extension of you. But that ability, as as a child gets older older, it's important for parents to have the ability to not see our children as extensions of ourselves. Yes. Therefore, you were not apart from the fact that you didn't have any Thank musical you. talent yourself, you. you did not feel any, any by your own admission, you didn't, but you you didn't feel any kind of vicarious thrill. It wasn't you were able to sort of see her as this independent person who had these interests and turned out to be really good at things. So you could support it without putting yourself into the, 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 um, the, the thinking it was sort of, if she wants to do this. When you said it now, I I hadn't thought about it
1: before, but that could be something that might be sad for someone that um, maybe the child doesn't share the same interests that, that you do. Um, cause you know, you really wish, mm-hmm. oh my God, if they mm-hmm. love this, then we could do this together. And, and, you know, like, we, we didn't have that. Um, she was a distinct person with her <laughs> own interests and, um, I, I mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't, I didn't regret, I didn't like think of that as a bad thing. Um, I, I kind of like the fact that right. I, I right. didn't have a lot vested in it. Um, you know, that I didn't have a lot of input to give mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. guide and know this and, and that way. And I, I didn't like take mm-hmm. it from her and, and run with it. Yeah. And when you do that, sometimes that's what drives them away from it. You know, so you just have to,
0: right. It, it's, right.
1: I think it's a, it's, it's not a fine line to walk. I won't say that because it's not that temperamental, but it's just something you do have to, to pay attention to is to make sure that it continues to be organic mm-hmm. and it continues to come from your child.
0: Diana, that is such great advice. So, so let me ask you a question that I think parents all over, whether or not they have a supremely talented child from an early age, would would love to hear about. And that is the concept of helping your child deal with rejection. I mean, she is a professional now in an arena where rejection is regular. It's a part of the, the business. You audition, you get the job, you don't get the job. And for young people, that can be a hard thing mm-hmm. to deal with. Can you tell me a little bit about how you have helped her deal with rejection over time? You're right. it, it, it does come. it's inevitable. Emerson has a
1: very, very strong sense of self. Mm-hmm. She, she knows who she is, she knows what she wants. All mm-hmm. that we have mm-hmm. ever said to her is the only thing you can that is in your control because uh, again, with the rejection, Sometimes it's things that aren't in their control, especially with the children. Um, you know, a, a lot of times it, it, it's height. Mm-hmm. But all we, we've always told her, all you can do is the best that you can do. Because that's all you you have control over. And I, I think she's really taken that to heart. Mm-hmm. And um, she when she wants something, she, she goes mm-hmm. after it. And when she comes out, she's always confident. She has done the best that she could do. So if things were not to turn out, um, mm-hmm. I think there, there there's not an element of regret with that. There is definitely, I mean, she's human, you know, so there's definitely mm-hmm. sadness. Mm-hmm. There is definitely disappointment, but th- there, there's nothing like, oh, I should have done this. Mm-hmm. I should have mm-hmm. done that. You know, I wanted to, blah, blah. you know, she did, she did the best that she could do. I I think just having a strong sense of, of her herself and having, Self-esteem, you know, just just being sure of yourself and your your capabilities. I think that that what that's what takes her through that.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. It's often said to parents that we should encourage our children to be uh, not afraid to fail, because fear of failure is a is a big thing Mm -hmm. that people have to overcome. And it's interesting that in this this passion that she's pursued you can't fear failure because you mm-hmm. have to expect it. I mean, it ha- it's part of, it, somebody's right. going to get the job. It might be you and you are regularly failing if you're not getting a job, but you, you come to regard it as something that happens as opposed to something that stops you. We don't look at it as failing.
1: We, we look at it mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. there's two outcomes, you know, that you get a call back or you don't. And And if you don't, that's not a failure. That's just, what happens mm-hmm. you know and it, you know and, mm-hmm. and Emerson's always like you know what onward and upward you know something bigger will come along you know she, she's like I I wasn't I have to be available for something else you know <laughs> that type of thing so but yeah I think it's <laughs> oh, in the definition because I, I I do not call when she, when she does not get a call back I do not call that a failure I just don't even mm-hmm. think of it mm-hmm. that way and she, and she doesn't think of that way because like you said it's inevitably it's going to happen.
0: And that actually goes back to, that's a good thing that you don't think of it that way. And it goes back to what you said about her feeling that she's doing Mm -hmm. her best. And I have to say in our family, when we talk to our kids about grades, we always said Mm -hmm. it's the effort. If you you come back and tell us that this was the absolute best you could do, and if the grade is not great, we accept that that yeah. was the best you can do. We'll figure out how to help you figure out what more needs to be done. But that's yes. all you can ask for. And it sounds yeah. like that's the same thing. I mean, good, great that she's got mm-hmm. that internally, that she knows if she's done the best that she can do. But you're right. It, it's not a failure. It's an outcome. It's an, right. outcome.
1: It's, a, it's an outcome. It can come out, you know, two ways. You get the call back or you don't. You know, it's just that that's yeah. really all it is. It says nothing personally about
0: you. Kind of thing. As long as you've done the best Mm -hmm. that you can, like I said, you might be one inch too tall. (laughs) That's a great lesson for parents to think about uh, imparting to their kids. One more quick question about her before we ask her to come and join us. With every great thing, there there is some sacrifice. What what has she? What in your estimation has she not had the opportunity to do that you that you think would be good for her to do at her age? Um, you mean in high school when she goes to high school? Yeah. Yes. in mean, the school yeah. surroundings. You talked about having not been able to experience yeah. some of the things. Many, that kids many do many
2: things. Experience.
1: And yeah. I think this is what is driving, again, her choice. She can stay at professional children's school. Is it the special music school or is it professional? We changed to professional children's school. And it's a school that caters to children with professions. Mm-hmm. So you don't necessarily have to be an actor. Um, actually, there's more SAB, you know, um, ballerinas, uh, school, American ballet. Uh-oh. You know, there's a lot of that training, uh, a lot of professional tennis players. Oh, interesting. Um, kids who are like directing their own movies, there's professional chess players gymnast, mm. but any, any time where you would need a more flexible school schedule. So for the actors, you know, they might have to go to LA to take for three weeks and they do a lot of things online. That's why when COVID hit, it wasn't like, oh my God for the school. Cause they kind of already mm-hmm. had that set up. Um, they just had to, you know, kind of jigger it so that they could teach the whole school <laughs> remotely and not just like one person who's in LA or something. But so she, she right. could stay <laughs> at professional children's school, which was the plan, you know. Then. But once again, mm-hmm. Emerson came to us and she said she wanted to explore other high schools. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. part of me was like, darn it, because you know how hard that is in New York City. Um, but yeah, uh, she, yeah. she had an idea um, that, of the uh, school that she wanted to go to, she is really looking forward to, um, sports. That, that as that's Ah. one thing that has been missing from her life for her entire, you know, school history, you know, the music school, actually, they, they kind of, um, shun sports because God forbid you like, hurt your hands, you know, or something. And, oh, I can imagine. Uh, um, At professional children's school, there's no sports because people are going to work after school, you know, who has time for sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's really looking forward to sports and she's really looking forward to clubs and b- being able to kind of make more friends, a wider group of, uh, of friends that mm-hmm. is extremely exciting for her. Um, she's still will um pursue her interest. she still will play the cello. she still will pursue acting. It's going to take on a different structure and she's just building her her portfolio of things that she wants to do. So
0: we'll see so great. Well, it sounds like this role that has been um, gifted to you has been a lot of work, but the reward is you've been able to give Emerson the opportunity to to pursue a passion that really mm-hmm. brings her joy and that she's been able to be a professional yes, in, at a yes. young age. So there's yes. that as well. So speaking of Emerson, is she nearby? Is she able yes, to join she is. us? Emerson, first of all, I have to tell you, you are my very first young person on my podcast. So I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> welcome, welcome to Ground Control Parenting. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you. And I am gonna um, just ask you a couple of questions but your mom and i have been talking a lot about her perspective of um raising a child who has really huge passion and and a lot of talent in a very specific area so just want to ask you a couple of questions what are your earliest memories of of being interested in in all the different things music and singing and dancing did everything interest you at once or did they kind of come over time
2: for the cello uh... I just know kind of what my mom told me about like when I was like really, really little, but my very first memories were kind of, I think when I played in my first cello recital, um, which was probably awesome. I mean, I played like one string, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, that was really nice. And it just kind of made my way to make me like the cellist that I have been and, um, i can be today but my earliest memories of when i want to act and dance and sing was when i first went to special music school for the cello um mm-hmm. i want to join the drama club um i don't really know why but um because i don't even think you do remember that no, yeah i, really I don't think i really knew what drama was I, I mean i was five years old but um I really wanted to join it, which was weird because no one else in my class was in it. No one who I really knew was even in it. But finally, when I was in kindergarten, I joined. Oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. First grade. I joined. And Mm -hmm. that was kind of like my first time even singing like professionally. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And your, your mom talks about not
0: knowing that you could sing. I mean, did you sing a lot on your own?
2: One thing I, I tell a lot of people is that, well, since I'm an only child, um, I listen to a lot of my what my parents listen to. And so I've always listened to a lot of my parents' music and what they play, like, in the car. Um, and that was kind of, like, one of my only influences that I've had for, like, a long time until, like, I got my own phone. Uh-huh. And <laughs> I could see, like, f- for my own stuff what's out there. But... um. I listened to a lot of that stuff. So I think that's how I knew how to like sing and um how to kind of express myself through that way.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Emerson, how did you become interested in going from being someone who liked to sing and liked to play the cello to actually wanting to be someone who stood on stage and performed in front of a lot of people? <laughs> and and how
2: did you tell your parents this? Uh, well, I think. At least for me, I've always been very, like, expressive and uh, wanting to just, like, dance and to kind of have a lot of attention on myself (laughs) since I was little. And I think that's something that my parents just kind of picked up on from, like, a very young age. But... I remember when I was singing at my like singing studio I went to, they would have like a stage there mm-hmm. where you would get up and you would sing. And I absolutely loved that stage. <laughs> I always wanted to be on that stage and I always wanted to like show off like the performance I worked on mm-hmm. um in drama club to my other classmates during lunch. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's something that my parents just like saw through me, like since I was um a little baby that I always just wanted to perform mm-hmm. with the cello, with singing, with acting, with dancing, like with everything.
0: Great. How do you handle the disappointment that can come from not getting every role that you try out for?
2: Um, well, someone told me that like all the no's that you get in life, like you can take that and you can make it and you can help you get to a yes and that yes will be like 10 times better than anything. And so I always just kind of look at that and look on the bright side. Mm -hmm. And for what I do personally, I think sometimes you will be let down a lot, Mm -hmm. but um, I have my parents there to help me. And um, I just kind of aim higher the next time. Oh,
0: that is so great. So speaking of parents, so how do you think parents can support children like you who are are really talented and and passionate, what do you think has been the most helpful in terms of parent support?
2: Uh, The most helpful thing um, is my parents let me try out a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, like, doing sports. I was uh, cooking. I was doing gymnastics. And along I was, like, doing cello um, and, like, doing the arts and all. And I think that really helped me, like, uh, know what I wanted to be from a very like young age. Mm-hmm. Um, And my parents were just always there for me, but also kind of let me take the wing sometimes and let me make my own decisions and own ideas on um the stuff I wanted to do and pursue. That's great. So
0: now my follow-up question to that is sort of the opposite. It sounds like your parents have done a lot of really great things. So I'm not asking about your parents, but I'm asking generally, Are you? Th- what are the things, if there are things, that you think parents should try not to do um, if their children really want to pursue a, um, something that they have to really spend a lot of time doing when they're really young?
2: Um, well, as I said before, how my parents kind of let me take the lead, mm-hmm. I think that um, a lot of parents should try doing that because that first off made me like, grow up um, a lot faster, um, and know more about myself and about like the world in general, I guess from my point of view, um, yeah, and they kind of just like let me be myself, and uh, they let me take the lead, and I think that's some parents should just trust their kids and um kind of let them um do what they want to, yeah.
0: Emerson, what would you like to do in the future with your various interests and talents? Do you know yet?
2: Um, Well, I've always said that I want to win an EGOT when I'm (laughs) older, which is definitely still the goal a little. (laughs) Um, but You already have a Tony. Not really, though. (laughs) Um, But I do also want to go to college for something other than the performing arts. I kind of want to get a mammologist. A degree where I study uh, mammals in the ocean oh. uh, in Hawaii. So that is <laughs> very a- specific. No, no, yeah, I have a plan. Or I'm gonna go to a school near Harvard with uh, my best friend, and she's gonna go to Harvard, and I'm gonna go to the school next door. <laughs> um, that's like also one of my plans. She's really <laughs> smart. Uh, I'm not Harvard smart, but um. Yeah, I do want to keep acting and all, but I definitely want to do something else. And I do have like other interests. So
0: That's great. So I have several things to say to you for that answer. First of all, I don't ever want to hear you say anything like I'm not Harvard smart again because smart is smart and just do the best that you can and, and put nothing out of your reach. That's the first thing. The second thing is I am very impressed because you've just taught me a new word, memologist. I didn't even know what that was. And so somebody who knows a word that I don't know to me is very smart. <laughs> <laughs> and then the third thing, I'm really excited for you because it sounds like there's so many different things that you can do. And and I just also have to say, the fourth thing is that for maybe the five people out there that don't know what
2: an EGOT is, <laughs> it oh, is... <laughs> um, it's an, an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar and a Tony. Right, exactly. And so
0: I have no doubt, Emerson, that if you put your mind to that, <laughs> that can happen too. <laughs> Well, Emerson, I thank you so much for being my very first young person guest and for such really great answers. But before you go, I'm going to have again a first a mother-daughter GCP bonus round because when I <laughs> at, the, at the end of my um podcast, I always ask my guests to play the GCP bonus round. And the you there're just two questions and you guys can Answer together, or you can give your own individual answers to the two questions. And the first question is, um, your favorite poem or saying? And the second question is, your favorite two children's
2: books? That's the bonus round. First, your favorite poem or saying? It's from Hidden Figures, and uh, my dad wrote it on my wall for me, but it's it says, um, because we wear glasses, can't really see right now, but I wear glasses, for some reason really like that saying that just like line comes when like they're, I think they're all together and they're just like sticking up from themselves and um, seeing that, you know, we are smart. Like I just like finished college. I'm um, helping people in NASA, like we can do something and it's just showing them, I think really embracing themselves to other people. Uh, so I really like that. Mm-hmm. And then, children's books. They could be sort of the first
0: ones you remember or something you're reading now. (laughs) that You
1: You are talking to a writer. So (laughs) I didn't read her books. I would make up a story and we had a continuing saga of adventures and we had our characters and they had their adventures that they went through. And some of these sagas lasted like a couple of years. So it was our characters and our story. And it had its own plot lines and twists and turns and things like that. So when she was little, she would get in bed and pull the covers up and go, so, so, go, <laughs> you know, so, mommy,
0: so, you know, because I would always start it with so. Oh, that is so great. Emerson,
2: did you have another book on top of that magical Emerson Diana story? <laughs> Well, now that, uh, my mom just kind of reminded me of the book that my dad uh, read to me in bed, which was uh, Harry Potter. Oh, he always read me Harry Potter, which was all of them. A little weird because I was like six years old, uh, <laughs> and I didn't know like, what half of the words meant at the time. But I absolutely love Harry Potter. I'm like a Hogwarts fan, and um, me and my dad—he actually never read the series, mm-hmm. so we kind of read it together. And I like always remember it because I would go to sleep and he would like keep reading about me (laughs) and Like the next night he would catch me up on what's happening. Oh, (laughs) Oh, that's so great. Mm -hmm. He he wouldn't even reread
1: it.
0: He would just tell her, so this is what you missed. (laughs) (laughs) That is so great. (laughs) So listen, the two of you, I thank you both so, so much for the time you've spent here. You've been both great guests. And I really thank you for all the great advice and wisdom that you've been able to share. Oh, it was a pleasure. We enjoyed talking with you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you. Diana and Emerson, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope everyone listening enjoyed this conversation and you'll come back for more. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate and review where you find your podcast, and tell your friends. In the meantime, please check out the Ground Control Parenting blog at www.groundcontrolparenting.com for tons of parenting info and advice. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. Please send comments and questions on any of these platforms because we really want to hear from you. Until the next time, take care and thanks for listening.